I cannot tell you how excited I am to be here. So as Joe was saying, you know, about a year ago, I guess right before COVID, I'm, I'm at, I'm at MAM and I'm, I'm loving it. And, and we just partnered with High Point, got an office here. We had just opened a gym in, uh, in Frazier. And then God started putting on my heart, your, your assignment is, is done. And, and I, at first I was like, no, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> and how many of you know that if you don't listen to God and be obedient, then you won't be good? And so I, I, my heart started getting hard, and I just, it was obedience. I said, God, I, I, okay. And so I met with, 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 with Torres, who's been one of my best friends here in Memphis, and I met with my board, and I said, hey, man, it's time. God's got another assignment. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know. I didn't know, okay, God would use, uh, open a door at KA, Kids Across America. I used to work there back in the 90s, and uh, and so it was an act of obedience, listening to God and obeying what he was, what he was saying. And so in May, we, we, we packed up everything with some help of some faithful friends here at High Point, and we, we moved to Missouri, to Golden, Missouri. Um, and Kids Across America is a camp. Uh, about 800 kids from Memphis come to camp. Memphis is the number two city in the nation that sends us kids. Dallas is number one. And I keep saying Memphis is not going to be number two because we don't, we don't like to be second. But, but God, God's continually linked me to Memphis in that we have so many groups and so many ministries and so many kids that, that come from here. But even more importantly, we, you know, we, we watch High Point when we're in Branson. And, and you know, we have lifelong friends, the guys that I've, I've poured into and have built me and that I got blessed by bringing them into my life. We still are in relationship uh, on a weekly, daily basis. And so I'm saying that to say that while I might be in Branson and my family might be in Branson, our hearts are still here with you and with our friends in the city who are doing some amazing work. And so today we want to be true to the text. I want to be true to the assignment that, that Pastor Will has given me. Um, and we're going to look at John chapter 20, verses 20 and 21. But before we go there, John chapter 20, verses 20 and 21. Before we go there, I want to, I want to just talk to you real quick about this passage today, Jesus is talking to believers, to Christ followers. So if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and have not professed him as your Lord and Savior, confess your sins and are in relationship with him, this passage will not make sense to you. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they are folly or foolishness to them. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And so if you're here today, you're watching church at home where God has led you here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, our, our prayer for you, my prayer for you is that you would confess your sins, see him as Lord and believe in him. And you don't have to wait till the end of the service. All right. That can happen now so that you can understand what we're about to talk about. But we're about to look at God's word. Joe and I will be in the front after, after church, after the sermon's taught. And we would love to talk to you, have a conversation with you about the gospel and about confessing and professing your faith in him. And I just wanted to say that because this passage is to followers of Christ. And so let's look at John, John chapter 20. 
19 through 21. Let's, I'm going to read it, and, and let's just walk through it. When he had said this, oh, my fault, they just switched. Okay. When he had said this, he showed them his hands. Oh, let's go back. Y'all are ahead of me. All right. Cool. On the evening of that day, the first of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. So the doors were locked, and Jesus came and he stood among them because they were afraid. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This is the word of the Lord. Let us say amen. And the next part of that, he breathes the spirit into them. And then he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive sins, you're forgiving them. And if you withhold forgiveness. So he breathes the Holy Spirit in them. We're going to walk through this passage and we're going to look at three things. Now, I told Pastor Will, and I'm always, I'm always kidding with him. He can alliterate anything. He's a pastor. I'm not. He, he can turn anything into three points and alliterate it. I'm not like that. But because I want to honor my friendship with him, I have three points and I'm going to alliterate. All right? So we're going to talk about the responsibility in being sent, the requirement in being sent, and we're going to talk about the result of being sent. So let's look at this, and we're, and we're going to have a, a lesson in Hebraic, Hebrew vocabulary, and Greek, and English. So, so, so just, just walk with me through this. But we, we know that Jesus was Israelite, Hebrew. He was not Greek. He did not speak Greek. He would have not... He would have not spoken or broken down the Greek text. He would have spoken in Hebrew. So when you see something in the New Testament that's in Greek, trace it back to what the Hebrew meant. Trace it back. When Jesus said, listen, or when he said, thus saith the word, the, his disciples would have thought, what, what does it point to in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh? They would have gone back. So when you hear someone say, hey, the Greek term is this, trace it back. See how far you can go back. And so we know that from Isaiah 11:9, the ultimate plan on the earth is for everyone to know Christ and be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God's kingdom is to come and God's name will be worshipped. That is, he alone will be worshipped. Zechariah 14:9 talks about his name alone will be worshipped by all nations. In, in the Hebrew, there's a term called Kedush Hashem, and that means to honor God, to honor his name. Those are rich in, 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 in meaning. We represent, we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We represent his name in the world. When my son leaves the house, He's 16, and he's probably watching right now. I'm sorry, Enoch, I'm going to use you as an example. I say, son, remember 
who you are. And I also say, remember whose you are. You belong to Jesus, and you have our last name. There's a responsibility. If you are a Christ follower, you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we are representing him. Amen. That means that he is trusting you with his reputation. He is trusting me with his reputation. And we want to honor, hallow, honor his name. Now, this term, Kaddish Hashem, it's not just sharing the gospel in words. It also takes action, the action of love, and couples it with sharing the gospel verbally so that it associates loving deeds with God's reputation. But in, in, the Christian, in the Christian walk, in the, in the American Christian culture, we always see deeds and faith as opposite. Well, it's not about what you do for God. It's only by faith. Yes, the act of salvation is only by Jesus Christ. But it's clear that he has a mandate that he is calling us to do. It's clear. The salvation is all Jesus. The obedience is all me and all you. It's up to us. But this, this word, Kaddish Hashem, takes love and deeds and puts them together. Now, I was telling a story in the earlier service. My, my, my spiritual dad, Sue Campbell, my mentor, he, he told me a story back when he was, uh, I worked for him and, and he was uh, in Binghamton. And he said he went to the grocery store and bought groceries and he was driving down uh, summer and, and, and the Lord kind of spoke to him, hey, go and there's a guy sitting in there, a homeless guy, give him a gospel track and see what he needs. And Soup said, okay, he pulled in to get into the car wash and, and he got the gospel track. Now he had a, a bunch of groceries in the back of, the, of his truck, his van, his truck for his family. And he went up to the guy, he said, hey man, I just wanna you know, talk to you, wanna you know, introduce myself. And he gave him the gospel track. And then the guy reached in, his, and, and reached in his pockets and he pulled out like 10 more gospel tracks. And Soup went to the car, no words, got bags of groceries and gave it to him. And the guy said, you know, you're the first person who not only gave me a gospel track, but man, I'm hungry and they gave me something to eat too. Deeds in Jesus' name, good deeds, as it says in James, and being able to share the gospel clearly go hand in hand. They, they're not separate. And so we want to make sure that, that, that we, we frame that up the right way when we are going out into the community. Mark 5, Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So we want to make much of Jesus' name and we want to do good deeds in his name so that men and women, children and families may be brought to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That's what we want. Now, in Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5, there's a, this passage of scripture is called the Shema. All right, the Shema is a prayer. 
It's a Hebrew prayer that Jesus would have prayed three times a day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now the Shema, what's important about the Shema, which I love this concept in, this, in the Hebrew language, that listening is not just an auditory sound coming into your ear. Listening is hearing and then there's an act of obedience that follows. So when you see Jesus say, or the, when you see the Old Testament or the Tanakh say, hear, O Israel, it's understood in the Jewish culture, and Jesus would have said this to the disciples, listen, and then there's an act of obedience that follows. Y'all might be saying, Randy, what does that mean? When my son's 16 and my wife says, Enoch, clean your room, he says, I hear you. And then three days later, the room isn't clean. You didn't really hear, according to God's word. So whenever you see Jesus in, in the New Testament say, listen or hear, there's an act of obedience that comes after that. So for you today who's a Christ follower, you're going to hear God's word. The challenge or the question to you is, what is your act of obedience? What is your act of obedience? And so hearing and an act of obedience and love, they're the, they're the, they're the they're separate sides of the same coin. And Jesus would have prayed this every day. Every Jewish boy would have prayed this three times a day. Listen, hear, listen, hear. So whenever you see that in Scripture, ask yourself, what's my act of obedience? What is God calling me to do? What is the text telling me to do in response to me listening? And that's powerful. Because in the Bible, love is action. It's not this mystical, emotional thing that floats out here and then you fall into it. Some of y'all are dating, you're dating or you got a significant other and you, that just went right over your head. But that's okay. In the Bible, love is in action. How do we know this? Now, my wife's a teacher and I hope I get this right. I'm not, yeah, praise God for teachers. Yes. I'm, in the English language, the subject of a sentence is a noun, correct? Yes, it's okay, yes. <laughs> I know, I had, I had grammar in fifth grade and it's been a long time since I was in English class. The subject of a sentence in English is a noun. In the Hebraic language, the subject of a sentence is a verb. That makes you read your Bible different. The subject of the sentence is a verb. That's why Jesus said, and he introduced himself as, I am. So love is an action. And so when we talk about, hear, O Israel, love the Lord your God with your heart, with all your soul and all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself, that act of obedience requires an action. Love and listening are coupled together. They're connected. The Jewish culture would say it's easier to listen and absorb the teachings of God if you love him. And so 
we look at this and we say, our responsibility in being sent is to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ and to bring the gospel verbally and acts of love with us wherever we go. Wherever we go. No matter what that person looks like, no matter what they think, no matter what their political background is, no matter if they look like me, think like me, and support my beliefs, the text overrides all of my feelings and my act of obedience is to love them with the love of Christ. Amen. That's hard. If you try to do that apart from Jesus. So my prayer for you today is that you will shema. You will hear this and there will be an act of obedience, whatever God is telling you. So we represent him. We represent him. You represent him. Make it personal. I represent Jesus. So I can't go off when I'm mad at my wife or at the airport when somebody does me wrong. I do, but it's not right. So we represent him in our going. But there's a requirement of being sent. And anyone who knows me knows this verse is going to be in the teaching. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, this is the go series. But I must say that the word go is not a command. It's not imperative in the sentence structure. It's not a command. Jesus is not telling us to go as if to leave and travel and go somewhere else. I know it, it fits. Hey, man, Jesus is telling us to go. He's, it's not a command. And I'm going to explain to you why. Everyone here woke up this morning somewhere else than this church. I hope. Church building. You got in your car and you said to your family or friends, we are going to go to church. And when we're done, you're going to go somewhere else. We're always going. So why would Jesus command us to do something we're always doing? Go's not the command. Make disciples is the command. Make disciples. And the word go or send, the Greek word is porothentesis, which means to go or to send. And, and what's, what's fascinating to me, okay, is in this passage that, that is passive, that means the action would need to done, be done by someone else. We can't even go apart from Jesus Christ. Not in his name. So I don't do the going in his name. He causes me even to do that. He empowers me to do that. I have been empowered to go because of him. So it's not about me. It's about him. But what I find fascinating in this passage is the idea of going in the Greek definition is drastically different than the idea of going in the Hebrew definition. Are y'all tracking with me? Are y'all with me? Okay. Now, 
The Greek idea suggests a path that leads to God and that you are searching for God. The Hebrew definition of being sent or to go means or implies that we are going down a path that Jesus has already been. He has already been there. He has already gone down that path. He has gone before you. He is not asking you to do something or go somewhere. He has not already been. You see the difference? In the Greek term, you're looking for him, to find him. In the Hebraic term, he's made a path for you to follow. And he's already been there. Yes, these ministries have been in Orange Mound for a long time doing the work God has laid out to them. It's not that God is asking us to go down there and take them Jesus. Jesus is already there. He's asking us to go there and be a part of what God's already doing. And if you choose not to go, number one, you're being disobedient. But number two, you're going to miss out on the riches of God's blessing in your life. And that's not prosperity gospel. That's obedience gospel. But when you look at this, when you look deeply at this word, there's, there, it connects. There's a word called halakha. And halakha means to walk in the steps of the rabbi, to do exactly what he would have done. So the Jews, the disciples, when Jesus said, follow me, this is what halakha means. They see Jesus walking. And now I could illustrate this if my son was here. If Enoch was here with me, we walked just alike. His foot's turned in like mine is sometimes. And we walk and people go, man, look, they walk, we walk the same. But halakha means to walk, to see the rabbi and walk exactly how he walks. So if Jesus walked with a, with, with a limp, the disciples would walk with a limp just like he did. So halakha means to walk in the way of the master. So we are going, we are sent into the city to walk as Jesus has walked before us. And what's fascinating is that we are not even responsible for walking or making ourselves go in God's way. That's Jesus. He does that. We're not, we can't even walk or follow Jesus apart from him. That's what I'm talking about. You know why that excites me? Because have you ever been frustrated? Have you ever been disappointed? Have you ever been fearful? Yes. If you say no, you're lying, and that's a whole nother sermon. But to know that Jesus has gone before me and that he has prepared a way and he is showing me how to walk and all I have to do is do exactly what he does, that is comforting. Man, I did not want to move to Branson, Missouri. I did not want to. I, I didn't. And, God, and my heart started getting hard. And God started. Once I, once I was obedient, then peace came. And I've got to see God's hand. And I've got to see him work in the life of my son and my wife and my family. And God took my not wanting to go and turned it into joy to be there. So 
Someone or something else has caused us to walk in God's way, and that someone is Jesus Christ. Because he says in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me. So if Jesus has all authority, then we can trust him when we go and when we walk in his way, even if we don't understand. See, in America, we have this feeling that we have to understand in order to be obedient. In the Jewish culture, they, be, they are obedient in order to gain understanding. Now, I'm going to touch on this real quick just because I'm here and I can park in it for a little bit. All right? Listen, when you go down to Orange Mount or Binghampton or you go anywhere in the city and, and you go, man, God's calling me to go and minister and, and, and to partner and show love, Go down with the attitude of you're going to come under those people who are there. Don't go down there and try to tell them what to do. Church folks got a history of that. That'd be like you inviting me to the barbecue. You can burn. That means you can, you, you can grill. You can cook. You, 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 you barbecued. You grilled out. You smoked the Boston butt. You got ribs. You're a master. You're a master, you know, at barbecue, and I come to your party, and I've never grilled, I've never barbecued, but I'm going to tell you how to do it. Who would do that, church folks? <laughs> Don't do that. Come under. Halakha. Walk in Jesus' way. Come under and watch God work. These folks right here, God has assembled leaders, people who have long years and and much faithfulness so that you can trust them man i trust john and torres to the point that if something happened to me and my family i would trust him with my son so you know you can trust him when you go down and work at ma'am or volunteer at ma'am the same with Don. Trust. God has put this together. What is your act of obedience going to be? And I ain't talking about money. Well, while I'm here, let me tell you another trend in Memphis. A lot of folks like to give nonprofits money and then tell them what to do with that money. That's like you get paid on Friday, and then the place you work for tells you half of your check going to go over here, and you're not going to get it unless you do what they say. That don't make no sense. So if you're going to trust, release that to them and trust them and God that he knows where it's going to go. You hear folks say, man, I just want my, my money to go to the kids and not overhead, as if overhead didn't go to the kids. Be different, High Point. Don't be like some other folks out there. That was free. It didn't cost anything. I hope you shamad that. All right, so we represent Christ and we have a responsibility to make disciples. So if you partner with ma'am and they say, man, we want you to coach a team, coach a team. Your goal is not to win games, it's to make disciples. If Don says, man, come down to Orange Mount, we have a job training program. Some folks are like, man, are y'all sharing the gospel? Teach a dude to get a job and model that and you will share the gospel. Home ownership, close the, the gap of wealth in the city. Make disciples through that. 
Are y'all tracking with me? So you do those things in order to make disciples, and you have a vision to do that. They have a vision to do that. Now, when you go into these other cultures, you're going to hear some stuff. You're going to hear terms like social justice. You're going to hear terms like CRT, critical race theory. That's kind of a buzz thing. Listen, all those things are complicated, and CRT is like, is like an onion with 50,000 layers, and I don't know anybody who can unpack it correctly. I would say focus more on the text and what God's calling you to do than on some other stuff. But you're going to hear those things, all right? Social justice is a buzzword. Let me give you a biblical definition for social justice. Social justice is love applied to systems, policies, and cultures, period. You can't read a gospel and not see Jesus deal with social issues. If anyone wants to have a conversation with me about that, I would love to sit down with you over a coffee and one Bible, and we can talk about it. But Jesus goes into culture, and he loves them, and he draws them to himself with acts of love and words of love. And if you're, if you're serious about doing this, the enemy's going to try to distract you from the mission. Some of y'all are distracted right now because of those two terms I used. I know that. Let's get back in. So what are the results? What do we want to see? What does God want to see from us going into the city, from us going out into the world? Now, last week, uh, Brother Kyle talked about uh, foreign missions. Just to be clear, in the Bible, there's no distinction, foreign and home. It's all one, for God so loved the world, right? You might be saying, well, I'm not called to foreign missions. Yes, you are. I'm not called to local missions. Yes, you are. Both. We're called to both. Acts 1.8. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the world. And that sentence structure is, is called a polysyneton. It's all at one time. It's not, let me get Jerusalem right, and then I'll go to Judea, and then I'll go to Samaria. Now, Samaria is the people of your worst prejudice. And everyone in here and everyone on the sound of my voice is prejudiced in some kind of way. I'm not prejudiced. Yes, we all prejudge something. I was talking to a dude the other day. I said, hey, man, have you, ever had, uh, have you ever had this type of food? Or he said, no, I don't like that type of food. I said, have you ever tasted it? He said, no. <laughs> He's prejudiced against that because he ain't never tasted it. He prejudged it. And we all do that. But the gospel will adjust your thinking. So the results of being sent. We're going to look at Acts 2.37. Acts 2.37 says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Now when they what? Heard. Shema. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, Brothers, what shall we do? Look at your neighbor and say, Brother. I'm going to try that one more time. Or sister. Or sister. Work with me. Say, brother or sister, what shall we do? 
That's what Jesus is asking you. What shall you do? For the promise, the next verse, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Far off, that's temple language. Far off, those who are not in relationship with Jesus, who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted 3,000. They were at 3,000 people were added to God's family. See, we're a family on mission and Jesus has a work for us to do. What would you do if 3,000 people showed up today at the 11 o'clock service outside those doors and said, we came to know Christ what are you going to tell us? 3,000. That's what happened. So what, what did the disciples do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Apostle, apostolos, to be sent away from. Apostles' teaching. So they had teaching. They devoted themselves. They didn't just read the Bible for 10 minutes on Monday. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they were in discipleship relationship. And fellowship. What's fellowship? Last time I checked, you got some food. You're hanging out. I play some spades, some dominoes. And culturally, when you say fellowship, some people think different things. But most of the time, it's hanging out, getting food, and getting to know people. You can't really fellowship with somebody unless they eat leftovers at your house. <laughs> really. Because this is what we do. Come inside. Make yourself at home. What you really meant was make yourself at home in this six by nine box right here. Don't really go back in that part of the house. They fellowship. All right. They devote themselves to teaching and the breaking of bread. They ate together. Community. And they prayed prayers. And awe came upon every soul. They were in awe because of the gospel. And many wonders and signs were being done. God was flexing his muscles. He was doing miracles. Things were happening. They saw God moving. They saw where God was moving. And they were in that space. And signs and wonders followed. And the word of God continued to increase. So the word of God was going out. They were getting taught. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. In this passage, y'all, it went from addition to multiplication. Now, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a, a math scholar, but I do know that multiplication is different than addition. Greater impact. The result of disciples being sent. The church went from addition to multiplication. That's what Jesus wants. Multiplied disciples. That is the result that he is looking for. Not addition. Now, in our culture, in, in, our, in our Western thought of, of, of church and Christianity, we'll say... How, Pastors do it all the time. How many converts y'all have? You can't, multi you can't get to multiplication making converts. 
you got to make disciples. And, and, and in our culture in America, we, this is how we think. I have to convert someone and then make them a disciple. I totally disagree. Now, this is going to mess with your 40 years of Sunday school for some of y'all. But the disciples did not, when Jesus called them to follow him, they didn't automatically see him as Jesus Lord. They're like, what is Jesus? No, he was a rabbi. He asked them to follow him. That's why they called him rabbi. You don't see them call him Lord till later in the New Testament. And in the Jewish culture, rabbis did not ask students to follow them. The, the students followed the rabbi because they passed this test. So all of Jesus' disciples failed the test. That's why they were fishing. So Jesus went to those that failed and said, follow me. And they were like, man, he's a rabbi. I'm going to follow him. But we tend to think they just saw this halo on him and a dove on his shoulder, and they thought, man, that's the Lord. No. You see, we have the luxury of reading the New Testament. They did not. So you got to ask yourself, in this passage, how did the church multiply? They didn't even have the New Testament. What were they teaching? The Old Testament, the Tanakh. That's messing with some of y'all because I've heard folks, not here, I've heard folks tell me, man, I, I only read the New Testament because it's got Jesus. And I said, man, you probably don't know Christ. Because the Tanakh, the Old Testament is the foreshadowing of Jesus. But how did the church multiply? They weren't teaching the New Testament. They didn't have it. They were teaching the Tanakh. They were, it says how it multiplied. They were praying. They were committed to the, to the apostles' teaching. They were in community. Are y'all with me on this? How much more for us? We have the New Testament. And it says that the priest committed to the way or the faith. Those would be priests who were pagan priests out in pagan temples. The gospel even went to them and they committed to Christ. Man, if, you don't, if that does not get you excited and, and give you some amens, I don't know what will. There is no place you can go that the gospel cannot reach you. Now, let's just, let's just be real. Let's just tilt our halo to the side a little bit. Memphis has a long history of segregation, separation, and cultural divide. We don't like to talk about it, but we see it. Folks move out to the suburbs, churches move out. I mean, you just see it. You see that. But the gospel is powerful enough to bridge gaps and to bring people and to bring unity. Now, I don't think when Jesus said go, he meant go and create your own society away from the brokenness of the world. So as you go, the Holy Spirit will lead you in the situation to where he wants you to be for you to share the faith and your life and the hope that the gospel has in people so that they can know him through you, through your family and through your life. He has already gone before you and prepared a way for that. When I was in Branson, a 
couple weeks ago, uh, we, we needed to get a, a new refrigerator because the refrigerator was in that house. The, the, the freezer wasn't working. And we made an appointment, and they didn't show up. And we were like, okay, we'll go another week. And we get to my house. It's 930 on a Sunday. And there's a truck in front of my house, and these two guys jump out. And I know they're not from Branson. I can tell how they're talking. And, you know, they're multi, they're, they were of a different ethnicity than 99% of the folks in Branson. And, uh, and they saw me, and they're like, oh, wait, wow. And I said, what do you mean, wow? And they were like, man, we didn't expect you to be in this neighborhood. So it was like reversed. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, man, what's going on? They said, man, we're here to put your refrigerator in. And I was like, 9.30 on a Sunday night? Okay, cool, great. Why, tell me y'all's story. And the guy said, man, we work. Uh, nobody really wants to work and do these jobs. So, so we unload this truck. Different companies pay us. We live here in Branson for two months. And we get paid, you know, X amount of dollars to unload the truck. And then we get X amount of dollars per appliance. I'm like, that's great, man. Come on in. One guy's from Texas. One guy's uh, they're also both from Texas, young, tw like 20 years old. We get in the house. And... And then they see Kalani there in the house. They're, they're putting the refrigerator in. It took, them about, it took them about 20 minutes to take this refrigerator in, take my old one out, put the new one in, because they got paid per refrigerator or per appliance on the truck. So they're trying to get done. And we're standing there. My wife comes in. We start talking to him. And Kalani gives me the eye like, okay, God. He, she's looking at me, not, not the stank eye that I normally would get if I do something wrong. If you're married, you know what that is. But she's looking at me like, I can just, God is setting this up. So we end up talking to these guys and, and, and just sharing who we are and what we do. And, and then it was like, man, you know, y'all are here. And I was like, y'all want to go grab some food sometime? Yeah, sure. Well, then the next week, guess who called me? Mr. Randy, you, you want to go eat? I said, yeah, let's go. God set that thing up. Okay, and I had to listen. But I, it wasn't me. It was more of my wife listening and going, hey, let's pay attention here. God has already gone before us and caused, who delivers a refrigerator at 9.30 at night on a Sunday? <laughs> Unless God orchestrates the moment. Now, there's been more moments in my life where I've failed it, I've messed it up, I hadn't heard it, and guess what? God's still big enough to work. Because he really don't need me, he just chooses to involve me in what he's doing. And so as you go, the Holy Spirit would lead you. So listen Shema. Mike Breen, an author that I love, said this, two things you cannot do in heaven, sin and make disciples. The question is, which one do you think Jesus left you to do? All of us. And you know what? I don't get to say, man, I just moved to Branson. I don't have time. Wrong. I don't get to say, man, I got all these kids. Wrong. Well, what about my family? No. God knew you was going to have kids. He knew you was going to have a family. He set it up like that. Now make disciples in the context of your family. Be a family on mission. We don't get to, we don't get to use those as excuses. Man, I don't really, man, Orange Mound, man, I heard folks be shooting out there. They shooting out here too. So we should be ministering to them folks in Carville at the Kroger and them folks in Orange Mound too. 
But remember the first verse we talked about. And the, the disciples were afraid, locked in a room because they were afraid of the Jews. And Jesus came to them and said, peace be with you. So if you are afraid, good. If you are frustrated, good. If you are fearful and you are confused, good. You are in a great place to trust the Lord, watch him work, and make disciples as you go. Got a few claps for that. <laughs> now, I'm not, I'm not concerned with your claps because I'm going to get on a plane and go home. I'm going to be about this business. The question is, are you going to be about it? I'm not saying that in a proper way, but process determines product. God has got you here for this time to do his will with these folks right here. Do you understand how big that is in the economy of the world? You see, these are some things that I, I, I see happening from my viewpoint in Branson with, I want to say, our church, you know, that he is pivoting and changing. Everybody's changing in COVID, everybody. But he's, he's changing us from program to process. Why do I say process? Disciple making is a process. Going and building relationship is a process. But process determines product. From demographics to discernment, from models, we got this model, to mission. Let's be on mission. Let's be about mission. From attractional to incarnational. We're going to attract folks here? Nah, come here and get equipped so we can send you out. From uniformity to diversity. Diversity. Thai ethne, all ethnos. From seeding to sending. The church building Sunday is the huddle. It's not the game. It's, it's the practice. It's where you get the instructions and you get sent out. We're moving from decisions to disciples. From addition to multiplication. I sat with one of the guys that I discipled when I was here, Ryan. And he had a group of young men who he was discipling, and I don't even know their names. I could not have been more proud. That's multiplication. From the church as a monument to the church as a movement. From an internal focus to an external focus. From program development to people development. And from church-based to kingdom-based, let's be about his kingdom. So, as I round third and head for home, the challenge is simple. Are you listening on a daily basis? God, what are you telling me? What are you telling me to do? You go to the gas station, you see somebody, God says, hey, man, talk to him. Are you listening? Are you Shema? Are you listening and going, what's my act of obedience? Do you understand that we represent his name and we can find peace in that? And listen, if you are going, man, Ray, I don't know about making disciples. I don't know what all that entails. This is a place of equipping. If you're interested in that, the DNA, the DNA course is here. It's starting in January uh, of this next month. You can text 
DNA 2022 to 97000. If you're interested, you want to know how to grow, or you can talk to Joe Erkovich. You can talk to any of the elders. Man, you can talk. There's, there's so many people here that you can talk to who can go, I, I can show you. And the DNA course will give you a toolbox, and it'll put tools in the toolbox. And it'll help you. So you can respond. But if you're here today and you're going, Randy, just like you said before, man, I, I'm new. I don't really know. I, Jesus has been knocking on the door of my heart, but I, 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 don't, I need to respond. It's my prayer that you respond, simply respond to the gospel. And you might be at home watching me. Man, you might, I want to respond. And you could text high point to 97000 and respond. And somebody will pray with you, somebody will talk to you. Or if you're here today and, and you're going, man, I, I want to know Christ. I want to confess my sins. I want to follow Christ. I want to receive him. Then we're going to be down here and, and pray with you. And listen. I, people know me. I'm not really about every head bowed, every eye closed. You know what? If you're going to confess your sins before men and before God, and you're going to profess Jesus as your Lord, then you probably be, need to be ready to, to model that out in front of people. And if you won't model it in front of people, then you won't do it out there. So if God's calling you and he's placing on your heart to know him, walk down here at the end of the service and we'll pray with you. That's what we're about. I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to be down here and pray for anyone who wants to come. I firmly believe that Jesus Christ has called you to make disciples as high point. Father God, we come to you. We pray in Jesus' name, Father. If someone is here and they don't know you, that they would confess their sins to you, Lord. Confess the things that they've done that missed the mark. That they would place their trust in you, Father God. Simple prayer. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Help me to walk in your way. Lord, I pray for everyone here, God, that they would listen to the Holy Spirit and to your word. And they would simply be obedient in the moment. Help me to do that, Father God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.